Welcome to Cathedral Talk, a podcast about architecture and Minecraft, where we converse to save Notre Dame. Okay, so you know how I told you that they are rebuilding Notre Dame's roof with like original materials, you know, using carpentry to build the trusses of the roof? Yeah. Well, it took me a little bit to get on board with that, as you might remember to like, I think it was the first or the second episode. But after, you know, I considered that I was worried at first that the roof might catch on fire again, but then you guys sort of helped dissuade my fears a little bit that wood is a surprisingly durable material, even though technically it burns, you can have things that last a long time. So you put my fears at ease. There's more fire suppression than the building materials. Yeah. I mean, obviously they'll have to think a little bit more carefully about what kind of fire suppression system as in have something as opposed to nothing. Right. Uh, <laughs> but According to this one article I've read, or actually, sorry, it was an article I listened to on a local French station. They claim that they're going to be sheathing it in lead again. It's a very stable element. What's wrong with lead? <laughs> it's stable to everything except humans. I guess be careful. Be careful what you wish for. You wanted. Uh, we were talking early on about all these crazy fangled ways of modernizing, going into the future, Notre Dame, and uh, they did what you wanted. They're restoring it to exactly how it was. Before uh, uh, 2019, I don't. I don't want to dismiss your concerns out of hand. I, uh, in my experience, lead is bad if it gets into the drinking water and if it gets into lead paint and the chips fall off and you eat them, or particulate matter in the atmosphere if your roof burns. Oh, okay. I was just thinking, like, I mean, the roof is not in the water. Like, why, why are we concerned about the roof? But yeah, I guess if it burns again, that's. I mean, it's just, it just, it seems, it's just like, it's classic, like Einstein quote of doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. It just seems crazy that they're using lead again. I figured, okay, yeah, wood, right? Wood for the the basic structure of the trusses, but pick some kind of modern alloy, right? I can see David is looking up to see if that's a Lincoln quote or not. Yep. Yep. You're, you're, you're good callback. I actually, I did some comparisons and one one fact that I think a lot of people aren't aware of is that the fire at Notre Dame's roof was not as unique of a occurrence as we might expect. In fact, three out of the four great Gothic cathedrals of France, I sort of, I think I've alluded to in the past, there's many Gothic cathedrals in France, but probably by far and away the most famous four are Notre Dame in Paris, Chartres, which we've talked about before. Reims, R-E-I-M-S, and Amiens. Three out of those four, Notre Dame, Chartres, and Reims, they all have modern, well, they're all about to have modern roofs. In 1836, Chartres, its roof burned when some, I guess some plumbers weren't being very careful and during some kind of construction work accidentally set the roof on fire and it was the exact same sequence of events that we witnessed at Notre Dame where, again, the roof trusses slowly burned underneath, the lead sheathing on it all melted and burned off and then caked the sides of the cathedral, and so it was a a massive project to reconstruct it. And then in 1914, Reims Cathedral, 
also was lit on fire. Its roof also burned very similar to Chartres and Notre Dame, although that was because of World War One. It got literally hit by shells. I got distracted looking up quotes. Did we determine lead is good? Lead is good if you want to um, figure out if the bars of gold you're being sold are actually gold or lead, uh, because the displacement is going to be different because their specific weight is different. So lead is good for determining if other things are lead? Yeah, they're bad for water pipes. Yep. They're bad, I guess, for flammable roofs. Yep. It's bad to add into your gas. Do we make anything in lead anymore? I'm sure we make a ton of stuff. Lead is only bad if it gets into your body. I mean, it's not radioactive. Problem is there's lots of ways for things to get into your body. No, but I mean, like, uranium is bad if it doesn't get into your body. It's radioactive. I forget, is the is the radioactive decay byproduct of uranium, is it lead? Or is it something else? Eventually, right? There's a huge decay chain. Yeah, right. So things heavier than lead decay into lead and things lighter than lead will fuse their way up. And then once they get to lead, you no longer get. I thought that um, was iron. I thought that stars stop at iron and then they collapse into a supernova if they're big enough. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm pretty sure it's that you get to iron in a star's core and then it can't go any higher. So we know how to get up to iron. We also know how to get down to lead, but how do we get in between? What brings us between iron and lead? Well, supernovas create heavier elements. Yeah, that's true. Those will create things even greater than um, even greater than lead. So the the pressures involved. That's right. I remember learning this now. And so I'm, I'm just trying to think in my head. Um, I think it's true for most stars that that you stop at oxygen. Yeah, and then there's another class of stars that stop at iron. Right. Are there is there a reason to still in 2021 build things out of lead as compared to iron? So I okay. So first of all, this was only one news source I heard this from. So I need to confirm this. So I think we'll have a part two to this little excerpt here. The news station did a very good job, sounding very authoritative and very definitive about this hey, decision. Just like us. Right. So. I, I now I, I, I feel nervous. I mean, so let me say one thing I do like about lead, right? I do love the color that you get from the lead roof of Notre Dame of the sort of silvery blue when the sky reflects in it. It's a very pretty color. I actually mentioned earlier Chartres Cathedral, which again, we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. Uh, if you go to Chartres, uh, the roof at Chartres is a very Statue of Liberty color, a very green from corroded copper. And that's because when its roof burned in 1836, one, they had to rebuild its roof, but they actually didn't rebuild it with the medieval techniques of wood and trusses. Instead, they rebuilt Chartres um, trusses out of a very modern metal framework. Uh, you never see it because it's not open to the public and it's all, you know, contained between the stone vaulting and, you know, the exterior. Um, but it's actually a modern metal framework that's holding up Chartres roof or at least from, you know, relatively modern from the mid-1800s. And then um, it's all very kind of that green, that old corroded green color. And I do not like that color at all. I'm not a fan of the color of, I guess, you know, that sort of Statue of Liberty color of corroded copper. Despite wanting that in Minecraft, which we talked about in a previous episode. No, we, we talked about how the concept is cool. I didn't say that I particularly desired to use it for much. Okay. On the topic of lead uh, being the most stable element, I presume that also means there's no corrosion of lead in the way that there is of a copper? No, n nuclear. Sorry. Just just stable nuclear. It still has oxidation issues? I have no idea. Sorry. 
I think lead oxide is a thing. I, when you look at lots of lead structures, um, at least like, like the lead sheathing of these roofs, it certainly does get dirty, um, you know, from all the pollution and soot and stuff. You know, Notre Dame has been cleaned many times from all of the industrialization over the last century. But if you look at the color of the roof, I think it's a relatively pristine, like I said, sort of a shimmery color. That's So that's the question. Was that the color when it was first put up or is that the color that resulted after 150 years? Well, I guess we're about to find out, aren't we? <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> I mean, I, again, I'm not that worried. I, 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 I am assuming that that roof is not going to burn in my lifetime. I guess I'm just sort of worried about the people 200 years from now if the roof happens to burn again, and they'll be like, those fools, why did, they, why did they use lead again on the roof? It does seem just a tad bit insane to me. Speaking of insanity, apparently that quote that everyone attributes to Einstein, some journalists dug through it and figured out that it actually comes from a 1983 book by someone named Rita Mae Brown, a mystery novelist. Her book, Sudden Death, where she attributes it to a fictional person named Jane Fulton, writing, Unfortunately, Susan didn't remember what Jane Fulton once said. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. And then Einstein happened, apparently. And then just everybody assumes anything smart came from Einstein? Yep. Or Yogi Berra. Anything quotable. Right. Modern philosopher. Yeah. You know, I mentioned the four great Gothic cathedrals of France. 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 You know, I mentioned... <laughs> France. Let me say that one more time. You know, I mentioned the four great Gothic cathedrals of France. And um, again, this is my own list, but I think that I would be in a majority if people had to select four. I'm pretty sure most people would pick these four. Notre Dame, Chartres, Reims, and Amiens. Again, I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering all those names. Sorry. The fourth one that I mentioned, though, Amiens still has its original wooden forest from, I think, right around the year 1300 to 1305. So I guess they're feeling a little nervous at this point. You know, the other three have gotten wiped out by fire, so we'll see how long Amiens' roof is, although its days may be numbered. I hope not, but you never know. For your Minecraft 2-to-1 build, you're building it in sort of the order that it was being constructed are you going to set your ruse on fire at the appropriate time? <laughs> well, first of all, I was only going to take it up to probably like 2010 in terms of what it looked like. Just to pick a random arbitrary number. Right. But you said other it has caught on fire previous to that. Oh, uh, okay. No, I'm sorry. I, if I said that, I slightly misspoke. I meant to say that other cathedrals roofs in their life cycle, have all at some point caught on fire. And this just happened to be Notre Dame's first time it happened to it. Oh, okay. Notre Dame's roof was original to the cathedral from the beginning up until 2019. And it lasted the longest, at least out of Chartres and Rums, although Amiens seems to have it beat right now. Is there any other destruction that befalled your uh, beautiful Gothic cathedral that you're going to have to replicate in-game? French Revolution, right? It's got to have been something from that. Yeah, so, I mean, in the French Revolution, much of the destruction, again, is to the um, statues, uh, particularly the Gallery of Kings, um, which is just above the main portals on the west facade. Uh, I believe, as the story goes, the revolutionaries thought they were all statues of French kings, and so they knocked them all down and, I think, beheaded them. I think, if I remember correctly, and again, I when it comes to 
Gothic architecture. My weakness is with sculpture. I tend to not pay that much attention to the rich history that a lot of the sculpture has. So I am not the authority at any way about this stuff. But I think the sculptures for the Gallery of Kings were supposed to be kings from the Bible, not the French kings. So the kings sort of mistakenly, the statues were all beheaded. That'll be fun to figure out how to do in Minecraft. It's just going to be this this stair. You can pick away that stair. You can pick away that stair. You can pick away that stair. Well, on my one-to-one build, I, as you might remember, I used a lot of armor stands just to sort of represent statues because they were relatively the same scale, maybe a little bit smaller. But at two-to-one scale, yeah, you can't use armor stands. So I'm going to have to do some creative finagling with um, lots of inverted stair blocks and half slabs. And then also all the windows got blown out during World War II, right? Uh, so I, so that definitely is in general true for many cathedrals and for Notre Dame in particular, it lost much of its stained glass throughout history during various wars. I think probably it's fair to say the most damage it sustained was probably around the French revolution, but I don't know exactly how much stained glass was lost in world war two. I only know that the end product we had by the 20th, 21st century, or I guess the late 21st century uh, was that not much was left. Wow, we've reached the late 21st century. Congratulations, everyone. Oh, God, I said that wrong. COVID has gone on for a lot longer than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I I mean, it felt like a century, but... <laughs> the centuries are so easy to get mixed up. I don't know why anybody ever uses those terms anyway. So what you're saying, the, the best way to make this as authentic as possible while you're building, mm. once you put in your initial windows is for us to randomly log in and punch them out. <laughs> and then you come back like, what happened to the windows? Ooh, ooh, I have a great idea. We can modify the Enderman can pick up value to include stained glass. Oh, no. Should only include stained glass. Yeah, get rid of dirt. I don't want them picking up dirt anymore. Uh, but the Enderman will just come around and randomly grab uh, a piece of stained glass and then teleport away. The great Enderman revolution. There you go. Exactly. And uh, whatever stair, inverted stair, those those two. And so they'll just grab stained glass and statue heads. Maybe we can change what they look like in game to make their texture look like little French peasants. Yeah, I'm sure there's a data pack somewhere. That <laughs> I think our server would pretty much turn into uh, Escher painting the moment we let them pick up stair blocks and place them however they wanted. No, just just one one type. So you'd be you'd be restricted to like, I don't know polished diorite or something or something less used even than that probably andesite probably i use andesite stairs oh we can't why we can't use that one yeah exactly i also have plate glass so this is just screwing myself over as well so maybe nix this entire idea (laughs) i didn't even know you could let the enderman pick more things up you can change anything in the game files yeah yeah in the video you shared where they talked about the lead, there was one statistic that was cited that I wanted to be sure was brought up. Could you remind us of how many visitors annually you said Notre Dame got in the very first episode? I think it was about, I think we averaged it to 13 million visitors a year. Damn it, that's what she said. I thought she, That oh. is literally what she said. Okay, well, you can cut all this. I, w- I was like, what, where does he get, what is he getting at? <laughs> I thought you'd said like 20 or something. And I no, was gonna be it like, was 13, you fool. Okay, well, we fact-checked. Good job, everyone. Okay, before you try to humiliate me on live podcast, maybe you should check what I actually said first. Live, yes, very live. Live-taped podcast. Not edited. Not edited at all. Like that time you bleeped me out for seven words, so it sounded like I said the most obscene thing possible.
All right, so that was a whole tangent that actually didn't go anywhere. So we can just completely cut it, and it can be a smooth transition into the two-to-one Minecraft build. So, Tom, you're going to stop your reconstruction before it gets to the fire. So right. your final your final build is going to have, hopefully, the, the first blocks that you place. You showed us around the chevet and the nave look at you well not the nave yet but definitely the chevet is correct he got the words right and you're smashing all down well he got the first one the the harder one right the nave is the on the western end of the cathedral which hasn't been built yet oh we're on the sort of the choir end of the cathedral is choir what of. Okay. yeah the choir and although that's sort of the next step that i was going to say that i now that we built sort of the hardest part the semicircular wing of the east end now we are uh, going to build the side walls that are just nice straight rectangles, which is great. Yes. Uh, much we, easier. We we are building this, yes. We are. We are building this in spirit. We. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a matter of starting to build some of the little vaulting at the first level above the aisles. Notre Dame is a double-aisled cathedral, unlike most cathedrals uh, that have just one aisle that wraps around the central nave and choir, which is usually called the central vessel in terms of space. Notre Dame actually has two aisles that wrap around it. It is a very large cathedral in terms of basic square space underneath its uh, uh, vaulting. Hopefully no one will judge you for not having made too much progress on the cathedral since the last time we talked about your progress. You've been busy in Minecraft doing some other projects in the interim. Yeah, I got a little obsessed with replicating an Ilmango design of a gold experience farm in server, which it turns out is a way harder thing to build um, if you don't do it above the nether ceiling. Uh, if you try to do it on the regular level, suddenly uh, it's really difficult to constrain all the mobs to spawn on the farm. So that took longer than I expected. But that project is done, and now I can focus on the cathedral. Does experience matter for you? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. How so? I use it to repair all my items with mending. Ah, uh, repair. Okay. It's, it's huge. I can repair two full, completely drained netherite pickaxes in less than five minutes standing in my farm now. Which is probably slow for these things because our server's spawn rate is slower than a typical server. But nevertheless, repairing two full items from completely empty to completely full uh, durability is, I think, pretty awesome. And the way that the repairing now works is you never fully lose an item, right? Or you can set it, you can do it in such a way that you'll never fully lose an item, right? You can still break your item if you're not careful. Right, if you're not careful. But there's a option to keep the same pickaxe for forever yes if you do everything correct you can keep the same pickaxe forever yeah yeah there's almost no with mending there's almost no reason to use the built-in basic repair mechanic where you try to use an unbroken pickaxe to merge it on the anvil with a broken one yeah that's where my 2011 experience with repairing things comes from hasn't been updated since then in my head yeah right but this that passes the complexity threshold that you're interested in breaching for this podcast no for your survival game enjoyment like going into the enchanting world and figuring out enchanting mechanics oh right that was a callback nice callback thank you <laughs> uh yes uh, once it gets too much it completely throws me for a loop however rules are meant to be broken i guess i started playing crusader kings 3 this past weekend and that is a game of systems on systems on systems. It's too much for me. I'm surprised you're enjoying it. So here's the thing. I realized when you can just make the systems turn into a storytelling device, it's great. 
So you're just playing the game to tell a good story. Uh, initially, I was trying to play it like Civilization, where you're like building up your sieve and trying to get to, you know, some sort of victory condition of some sort. Ignore all that. Just play the game to tell a good story. So my story was Young King in Ireland, uh, botched assassinations. <laughs> now this is going to go dark. We're not going to tell what my story is. Good story, though. <laughs> Many of your games involve botched assassinations. No, they don't. That, that, that was, no, no, no. It's a good game. I don't know if, Tom, you've seen it or not, but maybe next time you're over at David's, he can show you it. All right. It, it might not be your cup of tea, but um, even if it isn't a game that I enjoy playing, it's a game that I highly, 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 highly respect and endorse people to at least check out, even if they're like me and end up not actually having fun with it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a game that's hard to just check out and get enjoyment out of like you have to wrestle with it if if you're going to reach a point of enjoyment i mean i think that tutorial did a great job like if you can spend five hours on it it doesn't have to be a contiguous block of five hours but if you can spend five hours on the game over the course of however long you feel like you can spend five hours on it then um i think that gives you a good sense about what the game can do yeah and then if it if you're not feeling it after that five hours i think it's reasonable to drop it yes agreed Sorry, that was a tan. I just wanted to talk about video games. It's not really podcast material. It's like I I I opened that door a little bit on the last episode, and now there's just going to be a video game segment for every episode. Apparently, it's half architecture, half video game podcast. (laughs) (laughs) One video game. That's like saying it's one cathedral. (laughs) Touche. (laughs) So I have a rare retraction to put forth to our audience. Is this already the third time we've done this in six episodes? What? what? I don't think you can call that rare. When else have I been wrong? The New York Times retracts things every single paper. So, you know, you're in good company. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate that. That's fine. I, was, I have no problem with you retracting. In fact, I want you to retract every episode because I'm sure there's something to retract every episode. I just quibble with the word rare. Yeah, you, you got to take back your use of rare. Okay. I have, <laughs> Next episode. I Next have, episode. <laughs> I have a retraction retracting the fact that I said retracting was rare. Yep. So my retraction isn't so much a, I think, an error that is you. I see you laughing over there. <laughs> no, I was remembering something from uh, physics uh, at Earlham. Uh, John Howell was referencing a, a textbook in version two of the textbook, uh, the errata section. Uh, it says um, changed errata to erratum. <laughs> I was going to joke. So if you recall back to our episode where we began to discuss the vocabulary of a bunch of Gothic elements from cathedrals, uh, we talked about many different vocab words. We just talked about a few just now, like the nave of a cathedral is the main section where the majority of the congregation sits and the main central hallway, which is usually called the vessel, the main vessel. And uh, we also talked about how cathedrals are generally usually laid out in the form of a cruciform, where you have the nave, sort of the long part of the bottom of the Christian cross, and then the arms of the cross are called the transepts, and then the top is called the choir on a cathedral floor plan. And then at the very tip top of the choir on many French cathedrals, not all, but many, 
Less so on other like English cathedrals. This is especially pronounced on French cathedrals with their elegant curvy architecture. At the top of the choir, you usually have a semicircular section that sort of caps off like a crown, this whole cruciform. And it's usually got multiple layers of semicircles stacked around it. You have sort of, like I mentioned earlier, the aisles that wrap around the central vessel of the choir. Uh, in Notre Dame, there's two aisles that wrap around that. Those aisles that wrap around in a semicircle are called the ambulatory. Uh, and then usually even off beyond that, in a larger semicircle, you have these different radiating chapels, all pointed to the sort of center of this little semicircle. And that that tiny semicircle that caps the central vessel of the choir, I referred to, and many other people have referred to, as the apse. So if you recall that word, apse. Now, in many books that I read growing up, that word originates from the Roman Basilica that we also talked about in the past, where, again, the basic concept of what a church looks like comes from the secular Roman building. And the structure of a central nave with the aisles on the sides and then a semicircular apse at the far end, that was present in Roman basilicas. But of course, I should be pointing out that in Roman basilicas, there would be no aisles wrapping around that little semicircular apse. The aisles would just terminate by the time you got that far up, and then that semicircle would be discrete by itself. Whereas as the cathedral architecture got more evolved, you would have these aisles that start to wrap around, connecting the whole thing in sort of a uniform structure. Well, apparently, according to a recent book I read by a Dr. Stephen Murray, who wrote a book on Amiens Cathedral recently, in the glossary, when I looked up apps, it said that this word was often misapplied to many cathedrals, and that apps is not the correct word for this semicircular section that it actually should be called something called a hemicycle. And a hemicycle is apparently the word you're supposed to use when you have that semicircular section that is surrounded by the larger semicircular aisles. It's only called an apse if there is no ambulatory. If the ambulatory is missing, it is called an apse. But all these French cathedrals have all those aisles that surround it, so it shouldn't be called that. It should be called a hemicycle. Okay, I've got, I, I want to jump on three word choices you just used there. Okay. It should actually be called, it is supposed to be called, and you should call it that. Mm. According to who? Well, that's kind of my question. <laughs> so I have read cathedral books growing up as a kid, right? I think probably the most famous cathedral book is from David McCulley who uh, did the Way Things Work book, if you've ever read that children's book on, you know, like illustrations of how all sorts of structures build. I think you're falling into the flaw of just because it's what you're most familiar with, therefore it is universally the most well-known book. I may yield that point on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I, I think, though, that he's a Caldecott award winner. The Way Things Work, I've seen in lots of places. Okay. David McCauley wrote a book on cathedrals called Cathedral. Ah. And that book was actually his first book. I think it's a it's probably one of the more famous pieces of material just on cathedral construction out there. Even though it's kind of aimed towards teenagers or children, you know, with all of its illustrations. I mean, it's aimed at adults too. But he definitely has a glossary in the back and he refers to this as an apse. So if you actually look at the floor plan of a French cathedral there, 
he calls the semicircular piece that I talked about an apse. And so that's why I've called it that way for so long. And this is really the first time that I bumped into literature. Uh, again, I'm not a huge reader, but I was reading this more academic book recently. And they say that that is an improper word. It's supposed to be a hemicycle. I don't know who's to say is right other than do you just err on the side of who's got the higher educational degree? I don't know. Well, certainly for the French language, there is an authority for what's right and what's wrong. That's a good point. So for French cathedrals, I, you would just defer to the, the French Academy. I wonder if there are other languages that have equivalents of that. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know the answer to that either, but certainly English doesn't. I mostly fall onto the, the side of uh, if you're talking about the same concept, then if both the the speaker and the audience member both understand the same idea that's being presented, then it really doesn't matter what word is being used to convey that idea. And so if, if the speaker is saying apps and the listener hears it and thinks the same thing that the speaker was saying, then you've succeeded in conveying the idea. I don't want to go go too far on that because it hinges on on the idea that the person speaking is thinking about the same thing as the person listening, and there's no real way to verify that. Right. I often, especially in in technical situations, someone will use a very technical phrase, and this is true in architecture as well, and they'll use it in a way that's different than the way that I'm that I'm thinking about it. They'll say Apple thinking about a thing, and the way they're describing it is. It's orange in color, it's pith, it's a citrus fruit. I'm like, no, that's not an apple, that's an orange. And they'll be like, ah, whatever. <laughs> I'm just, I'm being somewhat imprecise, uh, but we're, we're both thinking about the same thing. Like, no, we're not thinking about the same thing. That's, this is really different. Mm. So the threshold that I would have is if it matters to you in the architectural context, there are two words, one that describes this semicircle with an ambulatory and one that is a semicircle without the ambulatory, then you should use the words that, that reflect the distinction between the two of them. If it doesn't matter to you, then, then the word choice doesn't matter. The difference between technical language and colloquial language, I think, is pretty apparent there where anything technical, it matters quite a bit that you are using precise terms to make sure that you are on the same page. And sure, you probably could get away with using slightly the wrong word in a lot of places, but there's more room for problems uh, when it comes to something like that than if you're just conversing. I don't know if that's a class distinction that I would make. I recognize that it's not an insane one to make. But I think the precision matters based off of the context. And certainly technical versus non-technical is a context-altering thing. Sorry. Good word choice. I, but, but you can converse about technical things, and you can talk in, in an informal setting about highly specific things. Um, so I don't think it's just the nature of the thing that you're talking about that governs how precise your language should be. I think the, the context is is broader than that. I, I think it really has to do with the, the agreement being made between the listener and the speaker. Well, in terms of whether or not it's proper to call what I used to call an apps an apps, or whether I should call the semicircle a hemicycle only, if I were in charge of the language... I really like set theory, personally. I really like sets and subsets. 
the way I would prefer to use the language so that you can still make the distinction like Zach says, but at the same time, not completely say that this is an incorrect term is to say that apps is just a more general word that is applicable in each case, whether there is or is not an ambulatory surrounding that apps or semicircle. And then a hemicycle would be the word that is a specific kind of apps. It is a subset of apps. So what would be the word that is in apps, but not hemicycle? Yeah, so I don't have one yet, but if if I were to do it, I, I think I've seen apps in so many other places and enough other kinds of literature and just other people talking colloquially that I feel like apps is general enough that it should be applicable in both cases, whether or there is or is not the ambulatory. I don't have a word yet for the inverse of the missing ambulatory. I think that's pretty critical to make that subset argument if you are missing a critical part of defining it that way, right? Because what percentage of your apps are not hemicycles? So yeah, that's a good question. Like how often does it happen that you have an apps with these cathedrals that doesn't have ambulatories? Like I said, most of these French cathedrals do have the ambulatories that wrap around them. But there are more than just French cathedrals. There are more. So so for a, a point of comparison, in England, right, lots of Gothic cathedrals in England, probably the, the first go-to where you can find lots of other Gothic cathedrals. England is, how should I, how do I put this delicately with their architecture? England is not so curvy. England likes boxy corners. Generally speaking, English cathedrals, for the most part, just don't have apses at all. When you get to the end of their choir, it is just a straight wall with like maybe a big stained glass window that's flat, and then it just ends. So there is no apse, there is no ambulatory, there is no graceful connection from one side to the other. There's many cool things that I do like about English cathedrals, but this one feature is not one of them. Their lack of an apse, their lack of an ambulatory, their lack of a chevet, of course that's a French word, but their lack of any of that, um, I think is not as elegant. Tom finds curves elegant. I do. <laughs> I think I think there's there's way more to language than the transmission of information. Speaking is mostly a social activity akin to like when you've got two monkeys like grooming each other and they're chittering. You're not necessarily you're 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 forming an emotional bond with the the person that you're talking to and the logos of your rhetoric is often the the least important part of the conversation. Well, so what you, I, I think kind of in the same ballpark of what you just said there, that it's more than just transmission of communication. Language is, if somebody is just talking to themselves, are they not using language? Like if, if somebody is just like, you know, in Castaway, like Tom Hanks on a desert island, you know, if they're talking to themselves the whole time, they're not talking to anybody, is that still language? I think I would say yes. And that person is going to have a system to classify, organize, put into some kind of structure, a way of keeping track of things. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think that that's contradictory to what I was saying. You can use a tool for all sorts of things beyond what it's intended for. Right. I just, I, I think what I, was, what I was trying to say is like, I am much more flexible on word definitions than I think most people are. 
even the transmission of ideas like you're a computer, I'm a computer, I'm sending bits over the internet to you, but instead of silicon, you're a meat bag, instead of silicon, I'm a meat bag, instead of fiber optic cable, we're using sound waves. I think that's like the absolute wrong way of thinking about communication. Doing like information theory on the word choice even is like the wrong way to think about talking. Conversation is more about the communication of emotion than it is about the communication of information. Language isn't just spoken. Language is also on the page. There's obviously literature, which is all about conveying emotion and and anything associated with that. But then there's also a memo. I guess a memo would be more the example of you're describing of using language for the communication of information. But, But I think most people would agree that that is an intrinsic part of what language can do. But if that's all you do, then you're missing out in the beauty of the world. If that's your only if that's your only usage of written language. Yeah, I mean, I I think I would even extend it to memos and even technical documents. So like even like mathematical language where you're writing a textbook, there's a lot of different ways where you can communicate the same idea in multiple equations. And so which equations you choose uh, and which ways you, you present them. I mean, Tom is familiar with balancing equations at the time. There's an infinite number of ways that you can write the same uh, equation depending on like what extra terms that you add to it. <laughs> Does it make more sense to simplify this fraction? Does 10 twelfths make more sense uh, to 5 sixths or something like that? Like some sometimes they represent the same decimal approximation, but they convey a different thing. Well, mathematics, I mean, I would go even beyond saying that equations, you know, represent, you know, like synonyms where, you know, you have this sort of idea of two different expressions that are equal, balanced, but using different symbols for different concepts, right? But mathematics really is like a language. Like you said, there's so many other features of mathematics at least as a language, as opposed to the overarching concept that transcends our language. Mathematics has antonyms, homophones, even heteronyms. A heteronym in English is two words with different definitions that are spelled the same way, but sound different. So for example, the word wound and then the word wound. Now it's easier to get the idea if you're looking at this on paper because heteronyms are meant to be experienced written rather than auditorially. But if you look at the word wound or wound, you can't tell what that word is without knowing the sentence it's in. So when you look at that word W-O-U-N-D, you don't know if you're talking about being stabbed or if you're talking about winding the clock. So mathematics has a lot of these heteronyms as well. Uh, People don't usually refer to it this way. I'm a math teacher, so I've sort of coined this phrase myself. But for example, in mathematics algebra one, you have an ordered pair, right? An X comma Y coordinate on the Cartesian plane. So like take the point zero comma two, right? That's referring to a point on the Cartesian plane. But zero comma two can also be referring to an interval on a domain for a function, like the interval on the X axis from zero to two. And the only way to know, well, what the heck is that parentheses zero comma two close parentheses referring to? is the context of how it was written in the problem. And there's so many more examples of these as well. You have inverse functions, notations that gets duplicated for exponents and inverse functions that's quite annoying. 
But I think this all kind of ties it together with what you're talking about, that the language is imperfect, that the way we use to describe things with the language has all these inconsistencies and things that overlap and things that don't make sense, very human. But the concepts are pure, and we're just always trying to edit the way we talk about things to improve how we describe the ideal. I think you thought I was out on that limb when you went out there, but I think you're alone on that limb. Or at least I'm not out there with you. <laughs> why, why, why aren't you out there with me, Zach? I'm lonely. I'm not platonic. Our Venn diagram after that <laughs> math conversation just got a lot weirder. <laughs> I, th I think I agree with you up until the, the perfect concept because the apple that you have in your head is different than the apple that I have in my head. So even when we're both using the same word apple, we're both referring to different concepts. Granny Smith. There's a limit of efficaciousness that once you pass, then you can do whatever you want after that. That there, there's a level of chaos that you can embrace as long as you've met the burden imposed upon you by the context in which you're communicating. That you don't have to achieve some sort of perfection. You just have to achieve good enough. And for like an apps or the hemicycle or whatever. Yeah. Right. As long as you can be in some sort of agreement about the structure that you're talking about, then it doesn't really matter if I use hemisphere, even though it would be wrong because sphere is a sphere and it's not applicable here. But if I were to incorrectly use hemisphere, you'd be like, oh, he means the hemicycle or whatever you were talking about. This is the same as when I was completely misspelling basilica in chat. You never corrected me. Uh, about how to spell basilica because you knew what I was talking about. I get what you're saying when you're talking about technical things that good enough is good enough. Right. Um, where as long as you're on the same page, that's, that's all you need when language is being used to convey information. But I'm not convinced that good enough is good enough for conveying emotion because emotions are typically more complex and like frequently we don't even have the language to describe our own emotions yeah i know that's a concept that comes up in like therapy that being able to even describe what's happening in our own self is hard good enough feels like getting a, a c or a b on the paper what is it if something is worth doing it's worth doing poorly i've never heard that one is that einstein that's not einstein i don't remember who that is clearly that's lincoln david it's lincoln exactly okay you're not making this argument, but it's to not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Sure. And I think it's fine to strive for precision. And I think a lot of the pauses that I experience when I'm talking, I'm looking for a better word sure. than the one that I have. Well, so with what David said a moment ago, that the issue with just settling too much, like when it comes to things like emotions, is that we don't have enough ability to express really what we're feeling because emotions are so diverse yeah and complicated right and complicated diverse and complicated again i think the issue that our human capacity with language bumps into as a wall is that you know we have only so many words so many sounds so many things to keep track of with our memories that we just bump into a lack of space on the margins of our paper to write stuff down i think like the epitome of language is almost purely an aesthetic, mm. emotional um, experience. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't think you would put it this way, but I think you would be sympathetic to me putting it this way, that music does a better job doing with language what I think language should do than the spoken word does with language. Conveying emotions? Yeah, so like Beethoven's Seventh is like a much more expressive piece Mm -hmm. of language than I think any written piece of language. I mean, you can write down the the notes in, in the notation, but the playing of the piece is what I mean in comparison to this, the speaking of English, that Beethoven's Seventh is way better than any speech that anyone has ever given, including Lincoln's Second Inaugural. And I know that is a tough comparison for you, David. <laughs> I don't like Lincoln that much. <laughs> but you got to admit that a second inaugural is a pretty good speech. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. No, no, no. Speeches don't do much for me. It's fine. They don't do much for me either. <laughs> I think, which is why I don't think it's difficult for me to say that particular pieces of music are are much more effective use sure. of language than, than speeches. Well, I mean, I agree very much with the idea that music is better at communicating perhaps certain emotions and certain feelings of what it is to be a human than perhaps can ever be put into words. But I don't think I agree that music is a better communication device altogether. Yeah. I think, as with all things, certain modes of communication are specialized to be better at certain things than other things. You're not going to convey an apple with Beethoven. I mean, you could try, but it's not going to be as good as just saying the word apple. You're not usually going to write a nonfiction book in poetry. You're going to do it in prose. I don't actually think the word apple is very good at conveying what an apple is. I think it's better than anything Beethoven could do. I don't. I actually think the word apple is pretty poor uh, in describing it. I think think this is like Stockholm Syndrome, that you don't have a better way of communicating what an item is than the word apple is. But isn't it good enough? Apple's got to be at least a D. Oh, oh, certainly. That's what that's what I mean. Like Apple is good enough, and that's why we use it. And I, I think that's that's evidence to my point, right? But but music is a higher form. Okay, now I got gotcha. you. Yep. There's C. There's B. There's A. Sure, you know, sure, there's sure. there's a whole range above D that you could be exploring for how to express appleness. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean. I, I want to understand, Zach, like how you think that Beethoven is better at conveying a Granny Smith than just saying the word apple. How on earth could music meet all the check boxes of what is an apple? How does the apple make you feel? Admittedly, a feeling, emotion. The purpose of the apple to be sustenance. And then above all else, the efficiency, the need to be able to do something very quick to get a bunch of information across with minimal effort. Well, the word apple does only the last of that. The word apple doesn't tell you what an apple is. The word apple doesn't convey the emotion of apple. But attach at least one adjective to that, like bad apple. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's a bad apple. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not uh, sure that's a limitation of the word, but not necessarily a limitation of a phrase. Yeah. Sure. You can't convey anything musically in two seconds. Well, not a, you can convey a few things in music in two seconds, but n- not much. This, no, that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make is that the word apple only does the efficiency. It doesn't do anything else. And so Tom was saying, all right, 
put in bad apple. And they're like, all right, now you have agreed that the word apple has done nothing by itself in telling you what it is, like what it's used for, how it makes you feel. Okay, that, that, that's, a, that's a criticism of words of a singular word, but it's not necessarily a criticism of the concept of language. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm comparing English to music, right? And I'm saying to get the same depth of experience, you can't say that English can do the same job in a shorter time frame than music, because the example that you just gave was of something not doing the same job in a shorter time frame. I'm literally Googling poems about apples now. Yeah. We both agree that, you know, music has a lot of power that can potentially come with it, but that's not true for everybody. My wife, bless her, is the most tone deaf person I've ever met. And you could play her any, any non-lyrical piece of music and she couldn't tell you heads or tails what is going on. That's fine. So I feel like English is, or any language, doesn't have to be English, is going to have a more accessible amount of information that is probably accessible to a larger percentage of the population. That's, that's why I was critical at the very beginning of narrowing your focus down on the information transfer part of it. If you want to make your argument that hinged around the ability to convey information, then a 288k baud modem does way better than English. I'm glad we stumbled onto this because I was feeling like we were too much of agreement and I was struggling to know how what to say of interest to in response to the statements you were making. But now we came up with something that I do not understand your brain. <laughs> and so <laughs> trying to communicate with you makes for better content. This episode's going to be a, a terrible to edit. <laughs> oh, God. So this isn't a podcast about information theory, but I think we've sort of dipped our toe into it. Uh, there's this dude, Claude Shannon, who formalized information theory. And uh, information theory is um, roughly how much information you can fit into a thing. Mm. So how much information you can fit into a sentence, um, how much information you can fit into a string of characters. Even at the quantum level, right? Even with like basic molecules and things, right? Yeah. So there's how much information can fit into a space. So like there are numbers that have more information in them than can fit inside a human head. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you have you have an idea of how much information is in the number and you all the theory also gives you an ability to formulate how much information can fit inside a volume. Not that we necessarily have calculated precisely how much information can fit into a head only that we know it's finite. No, no. Th this go this is this is very important for like talking about cosmology and black holes. So yes. Oh, we actually did we did actually do the computation. Yeah. Okay. 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 Sorry. So just to sort of clarify I think for our audience a little bit about what you're talking about. The main idea is as things fall into a black hole, there's something about how the information as to what fell in the black hole gets smeared over the surface of the black hole, right? Yeah, there's a fundamental principle of quantum mechanics that quantum information can't get destroyed. And so information theory provides a theory for how um, 
quantum information can go into a black hole and not get destroyed. Okay. The the key thing that I was sort of trying to key on is that uh, English is not very information dense. And one of the ways that you can demonstrate this without the use of information theories equations um, is you just take your essay that you wrote, let's say write 500 pages of it, and it's 10 megabytes, uncompressed. Okay. It's possible to zip that file and send it to someone else. And then that person can unzip it and get the whole thing. And the zip file itself is smaller than the text file that you wrote and the text file that gets extracted. And there's no information loss between the two. Right. So the same information that you can have in the text file can keep all of its information and take up less space on your hard drive than it did before. So, so here, this definition of information though is does not it does not include emotional information though, right? I can, but I think specifically what we're talking about is is like the logos is, is like the actual words. So, if we were to transcribe everything I'm saying, you can zip it. Yeah, I I totally get that. But now, but now we're we've gone back to language as information sharing alone. Yes, and it sounded like you were bringing this up in relation to that English is not very dense. Yes. It's not very good at conveying information, which I can acknowledge. Yes. But then I think you were positing that music is better because music can convey much more. No. Okay. I think we just have different utility functions for what makes something better. Yeah, I agree with that. Like Tom, I think is very, even even though efficiency was the last thing on his list, I think he was trying to put it further down than he would otherwise rank the amount of emphasis. Yeah. De-emphasize it. Right. Yeah. I, I think Tom values efficiency a lot more than I do. Uh, and I'm perfectly okay spending an hour listening to a musical piece. If I get a better experience from it than listening to someone talk for 10 minutes about an apple sure yeah no i I don't disagree with that this this is oversimplifying it but there are two different tracks that we're talking about and it has been consistent this entire time it's language for information language for conveying emotion Mm -hmm. and i think we keep trying to figure out how to get those two tracks to converge in in this model that we've been talking and i think we've been less successful in trying to figure out how you can get those tracks to communicate with each other sure it's difficult I think the feeling that I want to convey, and I think I've been pretty successful about this, is that in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the aesthetic experience is on the top of it. And that aesthetic expression and aesthetic consumption is like the pinnacle of human experience. Man, in the conversation about language, our jargon in this episode has been insane. Who knows how much of all this will be kept, but we've gotten jargon from cathedrals, jargon from math, jargon from cosmology, jargon from, I guess, Maslow's would be psychology. Mm-hmm. We are using the full extent of highly technical language here. I think Maslow is wrong about a lot of things, but if someone is right enough that you can get good, usable ideas from, but I think an uh, aesthetic expression is certainly a more valuable use of one's time than a utilitarian expression. 
Well, ultimately, this has been a very, very meta conversation for, I mean, I guess there's no way to talk about language in a conversation without it being meta, but for a spoken word audio podcast. Hey, at least we didn't rely on visuals this time. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> this this podcast didn't true. rely at all on visuals, and it'll probably be the hardest one to follow. <laughs> <laughs> well put. That's it for now. Check out our podcast website at cathedraltalk.fm. There you will find many architectural visuals and Minecraft goodies. If you would like to support our efforts here at Cathedral Talk to aid in the restoration of Notre Dame, please use the direct link on our website to donate to friendsofnotredamedeparis.org. Friends of Notre Dame is a nonprofit organization that is leading the international fundraising efforts to rebuild and restore Notre Dame Cathedral. By donating to them through the link at cathedraltalk.fm, we'll know that our podcast is reaching new patrons. As our own Minecraft project progresses, we'll be sure to share plans, screenshots, and videos for your own visual palette. Good day, and happy building.